This podcast contains possible spoilers about comic books and adaptations. You've been warned. Your party gathers for a role-playing game, but in a new game, things will not be the same. Transported to a broken fantasy and trapped inside, you must play or perish, so roll your die. comic book keepers where we talk about comic book characters their story and their impact on our lives i'm chris and i'm lance and with us today is our special guest the founder and editor-in-chief for the geely grind jeremy snow jeremy yay, yay! Hey. Good night, guys. happy to be here thanks for inviting me along to join your nerdy little corner of the world yes well thanks for joining us jeremy and jeremy is actually uh, a big fan of this comic and has actually interviewed one of the creators so we might even hear from some of that um so we're excited to have you and uh let's get right into it shall we gentlemen let's do it so uh this issue we're not just focusing on one character or team but the whole comic experience so uh, unlike some of the things that we've done already we're calling this an ensemble comic um you could kind of say it's a team comic but it's it's really the whole thing is is very thematic so Die is an ongoing serial comic from Image Comics written by Karen Gillan and illustrated by Stephanie Hans. It's often pitched by its creators as a goth Jumanji story. Uh, the mature themes and beautiful art create an entire world of a foreboding fantasy nightmare. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Die is the story of six friends who play role-playing games, very similar to Dungeons & Dragons. When their game master introduces a mysterious new game system, the teen elite RPG players disappear from our world. Time jumped two years later, where five players out of the six emerged, uh, grizzled and broken, sworn to silence as to what has happened. Flash forward again to the characters as adults, much, much, much later. And they are brought together by a mysterious invitation to revisit the world of Die. The characters must explore and survive each section of this terrifying world to get to 20, defeat the Grandmaster, and hopefully return home. So how about an insight check into the history of this comic? (laughs) For that, we go to Into the Archives. So clever with the puns. Yeah, I'm I'm whip smart. Yep. A lot of the information that I'm about to say can be found in the first trade paperback of Die called Fantasy Heartbreaker. Back in... 2016 at San Diego Comic-Con, Kieran Gillen, who you may know from other his other work, including The Wicked and the Divine from Image, and possibly a little bit more recent work with Once and Future at, at Boom Studios, he's walking around Springfield Mall during the break at his booth, and he's walking around with Jamie McKelvey, who is the co-creator and artist for Wicked and the Divine. And okay, also, hold up. Wait, wait a minute. Is there a Springfield Mall in San Diego? I think they mean Westfield Mall. That's what was in the comic. I know, but we live in San Diego, you guys. Somebody look this up. Is there Karen Gillen is from like England. Springfield Mall? <laughs> Did he call Westfield Mall Springfield Mall? I'm pretty sure uh um Horton Plaza is Westfield Mall. Right near right near Comic Con. Yeah, right it's near- a San Diego Comic Con. We're walking around Springfield Mall. We're talking nonsense. 
Yeah, but where is Springfield Mall? Are we in The Simpsons? <laughs> I, I I don't know of a Springfield Mall downtown. Do you, Chris? I think they mean Westfield Mall. Okay. Anyway, they're from out of town. It's okay if it's in the book wrong. It That's doesn't fine. matter. So he's walking around with Jamie Mc, McKelvey, who is the co-creator and artist for Wicked and Divine, as well as comic creator, author, and artist Ray Fox, who you may know from work with DC like Batman Eternal and Justice League Dark. And he's done a million other things on a lot of different properties. So they start talking about the 1980s Dungeons and Dragons cartoon where a group of kids are transported to a fantasy world after hopping on board a D&D themed ride. Now, the it was a D&D themed ride rather than actually playing a game of D&D yeah, and yeah. being transported. I, I watched this cartoon when I was a kid. They, I, they're on a they're on a roller coaster and the roller coaster goes off the rails and they go blah, 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 and they go inside of like a warp tunnel and they end up in the world of Dungeons and Dragons. It's, yeah, I, I looked it up and nightmare, <laughs> like, it, but it's oh, awesome. Yeah. I am Dungeon Master. I looked up the first episode and they don't even give you a second of character development. The literal first scene of the show is them jumping onto the ride and immediately yep. they're thrown into this other world. <laughs> Zero character development. They're immediately fighting this chimera looking <laughs> dragon thing. Yep. There is like, no issue zero. No. Murder no, murder is. hobo party uh <laughs> launch. <laughs> I mean this is uh this is um uh, uh second edition when there when there's acrobat is one of the things you can choose. Yeah. Anyway. Solid well, solid choice solid. fighting gigantic monsters, the acrobat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so it worked out for this, Robin. Yes. That's true. Well, this series stuck in Kieran's mind they're talking and they're discussing how the show never actually got an ending the the kids just were stuck in this world and the series never saw them exit and reportedly the kids were supposed to escape on the final episode but it never got made and so for Kieran this idea of these kids were stuck in this D&D world and never got out just ruminated in his brain and he started putting these pieces together and it kept bothering him. And so he was out to dinner still around this period of time. And for him, he says it just kind of clicked this story just unfolded in front of him. And he saw all these different characters and pretty deep story moments that he could tell that he's, might have not have been able to tell in other s- comics that he was currently working on. And with every great comic storyline, you need a an amazing artist to go along with that. And the artist that he brought into the project was Stephanie Hans, who he had worked with previously on Journey into Mystery for Marvel. And with Stephanie along that ride, she did a lot of the covers, if you don't recognize her name, you would definitely recognize her art. She does a really cool, unique painted style that just really draws you in. And there's a lot of colors thrown around. And it's really exciting just to look at, which brought a whole new layer of re... I wouldn't say like re-readability to the story, but it does have re-readability. But you just want to go back to the pages to look at it again because it just looks so beautiful. Anyway... For the final issue of Journey into Mystery, Stephanie ended up doing 
the sequential art for the interior of the book as well, which caught Kieran's eye because he had only seen her do covers before. So with that in mind, he brought his idea for Die to Stephanie and he told her the story and she immediately came back with, I've actually have a history with gaming as well. This is my experience in fantasy genre. And it was a done deal because they had actually been talking about doing a comic together since 2013. And after they brought Stephanie on board, they added uh, the renowned letterer, Clayton Cowles, who was also doing work on Wicked and Divine, has done a lot of other work with Kieran before in the past. And after a couple years of intensive research, obsession, and preparation, it led to issue one of Die being released in December of 2018 by Image Comics. And I just want to say, like, the art is definitely unique, which you don't get a lot in comics. Like, it's oftentimes art is kind of a derivative style from somebody else's thing. And this this art is it's not like an Alex Ross style kind of rip off. It's this is a very no. uh, traditional art kind of painted portrait, uh, sort of um, almost like a fever dream version of a, of a, of a traditional painter. But it's it is definitely worth re-readability, like you were saying, and it's really very beautiful um, to to look at. And it's not what I would expect for this type of story, but it works really well. So totally, I, I loved reading it. Yeah, I mean, the art is just absolutely the standout. I mean, folks folks who you know dive into uh, the narrative, I think you know you, you fall in love on two levels, right? Like you 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 fall in love with what Kieran does with the narrative and the story and the um, the allusions to various elements of fantasy, but uh, Stephanie's work on art is uh, fantastic. Um, uh, to, to Chris's point, I think you know what? every 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 image of painting, right? It's kind of like the idea. Like every page of painting is is literally what you're experiencing uh, as you flip through. Why I think it works so well is because in, in Dungeons and Dragons and a lot of like Pathfinder, a lot of RPG systems, they they hire these freelance artists and they work really hard on like a, a painted version of a character or a monster or something. Um, and a lot of them are art, acrylic and, and gouache and, and this kind of soft, like there's no line work necessarily, but it's this kind of painted um, illustration and it, it's very reminiscent of that. So I think, you know, as RPG players, as we are, um, that's probably why one reason why we're kind of drawn to it is because it sort of feels like it's pulled out of the player's handbook almost. Um, there's a lot anyway. of clear flow to the story with the painted style too. There's, you can just see the brushstrokes and it pushes you into a direction. It makes you look in the place that you should be looking for certain elements of a story, which is really exciting. And it gives a clear direction. And yeah. just to and give the listeners an idea of how much I enjoy the art, we actually received um, the comic digitally in order to review it for free. But then I in turn went out and found the comics physically and on top of that also purchased the trade paperback because I just wanted to stare at the art in my own hands pretty much all the time because it's fantastic. Yeah, and it's it's really great color choices. I mean, this is a kind of a bleak uh, palette, um, but then when there is a, a, a kind of pop of color, um, like like the the chest bursting light or you know like the flames coming off of a sword or something like that uh it's done very intentionally so it's it's kind of nice against like a really grim world that we're in 
uh, to, to have those things. So um, let's talk a little bit about the comic itself and kind of some of the characters that are in it. I'll be going through the, the comic characters. I'll be talking about their class breakdowns, and uh, we'll go a little bit more into sort of their abilities um, in the next section. So first of all, we have Matt, who is a grief knight. He uh, uses the D8. There's eight different emotions, and D8 is a damage die for the longsword. Chuck is the fool. He's a swashbuckling goofball kind of uh full of himself his attitude sort of grants a lucky protection and at later levels he's got plot armor yeah he has <laughs> plot armor yes very interesting isabel is as a class known as the god binder which is described as a cleric as a demonologist which is really cool so she's able to kind of talk and negotiate with these uh deities um in return for some sort of power and she uses a d12 Dominic in the real world plays Ash, a female uh, who is known as the class is known as a the dictator um, and the dictator's abilities with the D4 die controls people's emotions. It's kind of a cross between Cleopatra and Machiavelli or I, I saw this in another review of the comic. It's like it's as if playing the, a bard in Dungeons and Dragons as if the bard was someone that was terrifying, <laughs> which I love <laughs> And finally, um, we have Angela, who plays the class of Neo, which is sort of a cyberpunk rogue. Very cool. Uh, definitely the sort of high fantasy, but sort of future fantasy. So it's kind of neat to like mix that in. This mostly takes place not just in the real world, but also in the world of Dai. There are supporting characters. You've got, you know, townsfolk and soldiers and these monsters there's some dragons there's some you know all kinds of stuff there's various gods that isabel calls on and then you also have angela's sort of cyber dog mm -hmm. good part. and uh yeah <laughs> and the main antagonist is the sixth member of their party their their dungeon master grandmaster who is saul um short for solomon and he is the one that uses the d20 which is a uh, very foreboding. Um, you could also kind of argue that the antagonists are also themselves. They fight a lot. They have to kind of figure out how to get over their own afflictions and trust issues. And there's also kind of this uh, reoccurring villain of the fallen, which they, they are continuous threats along their, their journey. Chris touched on the dice element of the comic a little bit. So I wanted to get into a little bit more of, about why the dice were chosen for, or I should say why each die was chosen for each class or character. With Dungeons & Dragons or RPGs in general, most people think of a d20. It's the largest die that you're going to have in the game. You roll it for pretty much any time you're trying to complete an action, and the result is if you're able to succeed or fail based on what you're rolling. And with that, the D20 went to Saul because he is known as the master. So most com mm. most games tend to have a game master or a GM or a DM. And in this case, in this world, his class would were to be using the D20. In this, he was able to warp reality, warp the rules, bend the world to really what he wanted it to be, which makes sense because... He created this world 
or supposedly he did for uh, Dominic or Ash. And it was for their birthday that he wanted to run this new game and this new campaign style. Yeah. And it's, it, it's interesting because like, you know, you, you're talking about how it's synonymous with tabletop RPGs in general, but you know, the D20, you, you got to roll a D20 to do anything, right? So a, a big thing with, with Saul's character is, you know, after initially, you know, meeting him as a teenager and then kind of fast forwarding and, and having him established as this antagonist, like you get the impression that control is really important, right? So the fact that, you know, he's kind of manifested as like his, his, his power in the D20 means like, if you want to go investigate, if you want to go and persuade someone, if you want to go and do like, if it, if the characters want to do anything, they are by extension playing in his game, right? They're playing in his world. Um, and in that way, he can continue to kind of exert his influence over them, which um, is obviously fitting and, and uh, a great way to kind of set him up as this uh, as this antagonist in the opening issues. I think it's also pretty fun that within the comic, a lot of the other main characters, they mention how um, Saul will railroad the storyline, which... Hmm which DMs in general can be doing sometimes and it causes frustration among the characters that are playing because they want to go in one direction. But if there's a DM or GM that is running the game and they don't really let you go in the direction you want to go, it's less of an open world and more of a just written story that the person that's created it wants you to do. So that frustration stems along the lines of that D20 being able to control everything within that world. And, it, and I think what, what's really great about that, and this is kind of like, I think it, it, it thought occurred to me before, but it's occurring to me again, like this is the whole argument about fate, right? Fate and destiny. Um, if you kind of, you know, Saul's got this God complex and you pull that out, right? Like in the world of Dungeons and Dragons, theoretically, you can do anything, right? Like you're a hero, you can, you can rescue the princess, you can you know, do whatever you want to do. Theoretically, you should be open and free. But when the GM, to your point, railroads people, is it really is it really open like that, or is everything predetermined? Right? Is the storyline that Saul's created is is the outcome just is it set, or do they have the ability to alter their destinies? Um, mm-hmm. And I think we kind of see that go back and forth. Yeah, there, there's a fun moment. I think it's in like the sixth issue where this guy comes up and he's like, Oh, you have to go into the mines and you have to fight these things. And they've got 12 monsters. And they're like, uh-huh. yeah, we're not doing that. And nope. <laughs> nope. Yeah. Yeah. And exactly. it's such a, it's a, such a cool moment. They're like, yeah, we're not going to do that. We're going to bring him to us. Like, yeah. Yeah. The reaction is, Oh, Saul's always trying to railroad it. Yeah. <laughs> that was really funny. Yeah, no, it's great. And then, and then they go and they, they, uh, you know, basically, uh, stir up trouble in the main city. Right. So they, they, try and figure out a way to turn it on its head. But then even in moments where they think they're going off of the railroad, you get the impression that they still aren't in control, right? You still wonder if Saul is, is like, you know, yeah, it's all according to plan. Like you, you don't know yet. Like you can't see if they're actually breaking free of what his plans for them are. Um, so I, I think it's brilliant. It's great. So now that we've covered the D20, let's move on to the D12 which is given to the Godbinder Isabel, 
And the D12 obviously is the second largest die in the game. And it's really interesting that it's dual polyhedral to the D20, which means that wherever there are points on the D20, there are flat surfaces on the D12 and vice versa for the other. So mm. they are the polar opposite of of shape, essentially. Math, 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 math. math, math. Interesting. Yeah. I found that interesting, at least. <laughs> now, I mean, do we with, do we see that? Do we see that link? Like, do do you think that that's uh, an allegory to Saul's personal relationship with Isabel? Like, do do we, do you think that that's like a is that uh, <laughs> because because they work together and they are no. opposites? Yeah, the, like I don't know. I don't know. I just, I just kind of threw it out. I just kind of throwing it out there. I mean, I don't. If you don't have the answer, that's fine. But no, that that could definitely be another part of it because a lot of uh, everything I'm saying now, based off of why the die were chosen, is directly from Kieran. But I think that's mm-hmm. an interesting point that he, that wasn't put in there is how his relationship with Isabel they were at odds and now they are kind of in the opposite position from one another. I think that's a pretty good observation, actually. Jeremy breaking the game. Breaking. The I'm game. Da- I'm not meaning to. I'm just. the other element of the d12 that's really interesting is it pops up in a lot of religion so there's 12 apostles there are 12 olympians and from that the godbinder is like we've mentioned before it's the cleric it's but for demonologists keeping to that supernatural element so for the d20 it's about controlling the real world and warping that but for the D12, it's more about with using those gods, it's warping through supernatural means. I really enjoy Isabel's character. I think that the Godbinder for me is probably uh, my favorite class behind the Grief Knight, which we'll talk about more in a minute. But yes. um, I, I really like the the twist on the relationships that she has with her deities. Like obviously in, in, in D&D games, it's all different. But generally speaking, like if you were to ask the random passerby, like what kind of relationship does a cleric have with their patron or with their deity? They would say a good one, right? Like, you know, you, they have a good, healthy relationship with their deity because that's where they get their powers, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, the, the God binder, it, you know, it's in the name, right? Like they're, they're binding these gods and trying to shape them to their will, you know, and Isabel's always entering into these negotiations with them. And you, you never, you never think that she's necessarily getting the good part of the deal, right? They're always saying like, oh, we'll take this bit of your soul. We'll take this bit of your happiness. We'll take like whatever. Like they're basically like kind of taking her apart to give her these little flashes of power. And, uh, you know, it is kind of a give and take. Uh, and it, it's great. It's a great kind of twist on the test. So I, I'm a big fan of the Godbinder, one of my favorites. Yeah. And a lot of times when she asks for something, they give it to her in a way that is not what she expected or wanted. So yeah, you have to like be very a, like careful with your word. Me. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, be very careful when you ask gods to do things. Next up, we have the D10, which is going to be for the Neo. So this is going to be for Angela. And Neo literally means new. And the D10 itself is one of the newest die for RPGs. It wasn't commonly used until around the 1980s. And also, interestingly enough, obviously 10 is a 1 and a 0, which is binary, which is new age. It's coding. And for that, it goes with the newer cyberpunk feel to her character. And it has a lot to do with hacking other beings within the world, which is pretty interesting. And we'll, pro- we'll talk about, or maybe I'll just talk about now, just because we're on the topic of kind of the more technological aspect of die in general. Mm-hmm. Within, mm-hmm. This, is, this is a little bit of a spoiler, but in issue 
two, I believe. At one point, one of the characters kills one of the supposedly NPCs in the game or in this world, and they come back as what Chris mentioned earlier as the Fallen, which are these... I don't, I don't really want to say zombie-like we'll creatures, zombies. but they, but they are. They're, they're zombie-like. and they're they, like wraiths. Yeah, very much like wraiths. And when this character is killed and is coming back as a fallen, um, their dialogue, when it shows it bubbled out, it's in binary. And do either of you know what the binary means? I, I didn't take the time to figure out all the ones and zeros. <laughs> you didn't pay attention to it? So it literally means we hunger, ah. which is oh, super yeah. creepy. Sure. I didn't even think about it the first time through, but I was rereading it. And I was like, well, I wonder if this actually means something. And it does. It's super creepy. But it gives you that element of there is this very technological steampunk, uh, new age tech in this world. A lot of one of the worlds in general is there's mech dragons and these soldiers yeah. that are completely mechanical. Very cool stuff going along the lines of all of the things that a Neo can do in this world as far as hacking an actual being or creature or person. This was my favorite one, I think. I I, I would play this, uh, the Neo. Neo is cool. Um, I think it's very cool. And and I love the that she has like a, you know, cyber arm and you know, mm-hmm. just everything is, is very mm-hmm. neat. And one of the really interesting elements of, of the Neo is, is her source of power, right? Like the, the, the fine, the gold, basically. The, the fair um, gold. The fair gold, sorry. And, uh, you know, just how, you know, it, it, her, her search for it, need for it in order to, like, activate her powers has a sort of, you know, light allegory to, like, you know, drug, uh, almost like a drug addiction, right? Like, you know, the rest of the party kind of has to be, not pushers, but, you know, like we have to get that for her so that she can activate um, those powers and kind of help her party out. Otherwise, you know, she has her own doubts and concerns about her her value to the party without that, right? That's a, that's a key part of like what lends her her power and her, um, her worth to the group. Um, and then of course there's her dog, which a whole other element of <laughs> like yeah. her character and that whole thing. Um, you know, it, I don't want to unpack it all here cause it's, 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 it's heartbreaking. It's, it's beautiful. Um, but you know, I, I think there's a lot more to the Neo than just like, Hey, cyberpunk rogue, like that, obviously that character, you know, there's a lot of things kind of in, in play when she's having those moments. So. Absolutely. Nice. Next up, we're going to talk about my favorite class and my favorite character, which is Matt, who is the Grief Knight, and he has the D8. Now, Chris already mentioned with the D8, it's whenever you are going to attack in in 5th edition of Dungeons & Dragons for a longsword, which tends to be what a fighter uses in the beginning, at least, they they deal damage with a D8. And... Along those lines, obviously, you're thinking, okay, so Grief Knight, they're a knight, they're a fighter, they're going to get the sword, D8. But it goes a little bit deeper than that, because the D8 is along the lines of it's it's hinting at the eight different primary emotions an individual can feel. And it just happens that for Matt, that happened to be grief. So he went through a lot of loss, there's 
a lot of sadness in his backstory and he's able to use that that pain in order to essentially charge this magical weapon he has in order to perform amazing feats of strength and power and with him in general i i love his character and and the relationship he has with his weapon because it is sentient it's speaking with him and there's moments where matt needs to be stronger and the sword knows it and so it will bring up these horrible moments in his life and remind him of how perilous and hopeless the moment is and by saying those things he gets supercharged and his weapon goes crazy and he's able to take down gigantic dragons on his own does that mean that there is a uh, a love night and like a sadness night (laughs) so sadness i think i think grief and sadness are one and the same yeah because love, the, I mean, like, there's got to be positive emotion yeah, nights. There's right? there's jo- there's a joy night there within. We'll we'll talk about this in a little bit, but there is a an RPG that Karen Gillan created to play along with this comic. So if you wanted to, you could play this version of the game as, as an RPG with your friends. But within that, it it breaks down the eight different emotions, and even though we're saying like eight different emotions, they're more collected groups so each quote-unquote emotion is really three different things that are put together but Mm -hmm. you get to choose really what level they're at it's it goes into a lot of detail and we'll talk about it a little bit later we'll talk about that that's fine but it's it's amazing the fact that you just the development of that class it's hands down my one of my favorite things about this entire comic just creating these new classes but how amazing and just this emotion night is it it blew me away when i was reading it yeah and um i i am grief night's also my my favorite and match my favorite character in this emotion night is like my my favorite class as well um and i actually had you know when i when i interviewed karen last year um this was one of the things that i i asked him about because uh, i was really struck by uh, matt's character you know being the grief knight as opposed to say you know if 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 you're thinking about a fighter you would think that the default would be like what would be the archetype right for for a male fighter it would be like a rage knight right like a barbarian almost um and you know along a berserker of some sort exactly jealousy knight (laughs) yeah or a jealousy knight sure there is a a jealousy knight yeah Yeah, there is but you know and and, but the, the fact that it focused on grief knight for for a guy as well right so i mean the the idea of men's sadness being not only okay but men's sadness being a source of power is like like it just it's not something that you uh that that you know broader society pop culture embraces right like men's tears are seen as weak right men's sadness is seen as weakness like you're supposed to you know put on your big boy pants and, and deal with things um and so the fact that you know it was it was a grief night that kieran uh wanted to focus on was really interesting to me so he had he had the, he had the following things to say which i thought was really interesting the, my thing with the core map was me thinking about somebody who was really depressed as a teenager mm. and then kind of like found a way to build a life around him and now i've got to now i'm be forced to go back to the i thought i escaped 
the depression I had when I was a kid, and now I basically come to a place where it's creeping back up on me. And that's what I was interested. In. Like you know, that, how can you what, can you move past stuff? And like and that kind of like there's a lot of other stuff with Matt as well. Matt Sanders has various other angles, and that was what interested me. The idea of like this is what I was like then. This is what I'm like now. And now I'm kind of forced back into it because he's like of all the characters, Matt's the one who is arguably built the best. Okay, at the moment the story, he appears to have built the healthiest life. Sure, you'd it Chuck's a more successful life. I don't think anything's happy about Chuck. No, uh, no, <laughs> no, you know, not at all. But Matt, Matt has a life I would envy. You know, it's sure. like, um, and in fact, if you ask the other cast, they would probably envy Matt. Yeah, um, and that kind of takes, you know. There's so much of the theme of like dealing with and returning to stuff you were as a teenager and seeing how you think about it now. That's kind of the reason why I originally came to that. Mm. But like grief, is, grief is interesting because grief is not like like men are allowed to feel grief, but you're right that men are not allowed to cry. And these are really interesting, aren't they? Yeah. You know, and so there's definitely a lot of that there. Yeah. And I like you know, and I, grief not is such a like it's such a mean name anyway. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it sounds awesome though. It does actually. Like, it's a good word. I think it wants people like they they want to make a grief night because it just sounds so awesome. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, I, I I really appreciated like what Kieran had to had to add to that. Did you guys have anything you wanted to to add to to Matt? I, I love that. Well, I love that you mentioned that. You know, he's not just. Uh, it's not just about him having this grief as a man, but Matt is also a black man, and you know, there's this kind of um, social stigma of like black men have to be very proud and they have to not show weakness. And, and for him to not only have this, this, uh, grief upon him, you know, he's a very successful guy, but, Mm -hmm. but he has ultimately like one of the hardest hardships that, you know, you have to deal with as a, as a father and, Mm um, and, uh, and I'm a dad and, you know, I know I was just seeing that I'm just like, Oh gosh, you know, it just, it made me like my heart break. Yeah. Um, just I these mean, panels without giving too, too much, but like, it's, yeah. I mean, I think just, I think that race plays into this as well and it's done very subtly and it's done almost just visually. It's not said, but it's like, th- th- there is this extra layer there. It's not heavy handed. Peel away. Yeah. It's not heavy handed, but it's, it's appreciated that they're saying something about, you know, um, the racial differences there. Yeah, definitely. Next up, we have the D6, which is for Chuck, who plays the fool. And immediately, as soon as Chuck is given this die, it's it's the joke. It's ha-ha, you get the most basic, boring die in the game. The D6 isn't... When you think of a D6, you just think of games in general, because a lot of games would just use a D6. You don't necessarily have to relate it to an RPG, which is the joke. It's this is the boring one. It's the fool. It's ha ha ha. But mm-hmm. what they don't realize is while they're laughing, the fool is able to go off and do these crazy things. And he he's the crazier he gets and the more wanton he is about his actions, the stronger he becomes, the more amazing things he's able to do. And Karen even wrote that he's able to manipulate the numbers on his die. So he can even make himself stronger using this joke of a die that other people would kind of brush aside. But he's able to elevate it to a more powerful piece of, mm-hmm. uh, like, a more powerful tool. Uh, Chuck is, um, you know, he, he definitely stands out. I mean, initially, like, like with so many elements of, of the characters in this comic, I feel like, you know, you think you know who Chuck is, 
right? And by issue two, like you think you've got them pegged. Um, but like it, there, there are a lot of layers to what feeds into, you know, Chuck's understanding of his role in the party, uh, Chuck's understanding of like what his value is um, to the group um, and that sort of thing. So, I mean, it, it's, it's again, one of the great things about this comic is that, you know, nobody is, uh, is straightforward by a long shot. <laughs> no, not at all. Keeps me guessing. That's the nice thing about just Kieran's ability to tell a story. It, there's always layers. There's always something more to a character. Things, certain characters will, you'll think they're going in a certain direction. They'll completely 180 and it catches you mm -hmm. off guard, but it's, mm -hmm. it's such a well-written story. Mm -hmm. So we'll move on from the fool go to the final die, which is the D four, which is the, which is meant for the dictator class. And for this storyline, it is with Ash. Now with the D four, it's obviously on the other end of the spectrum of the D 20. So we think of the D 20 really shaping the world and being able to manipulate rules. The D four is essentially used to manipulate everything with in, inside of this world without bending rules the the dictator can s just speak and people will have to conform their emotions and actions to the whim of the dictator and depending on how powerful a dictator is the more people they're able to make do a certain thing at one period of time or the more severe an action they're able to make them perform now a d4 in general it's the shape of a pyramid and so if you think about it the dictator sits on top of that pyramid and everyone is below them there's a certain reason why leaders within the nation or the world of diet will not meet with dictators alone because they don't want to be manipulated that's the power that they hold within this world yeah it's a really it's a really interesting class and and, and at first i was like i don't really know is it like more mind control but there there's a whole nother layer to it yeah, it's, it's one of those classes I feel like you need to read the RPG in order to understand it a lot more because there are certain things that happen, especially in Volume 2, that you don't expect to happen due to just giving a command. Yeah, and I think it's interesting, like, <clears throat> especially in the, in the later issues, like, you know, the Volume 2 came out not too long ago, Um and it's interesting to kind of see uh, Dominic's, uh, not Dominic, sorry. Um, yeah, Dominic, Dominic transformation yeah, Dominic into slash Ash. Yeah. Ash, yeah, slash Ash, into a, uh, you know, almost like an anti-hero. Like you don't, you don't exactly know again, like I left off at the end of volume two. So like, you know, the, the surface level narrative looks like, you know, she's, she's kind of turning on her friends and like doing all these things, like doing this Machiavellian turn um, to try and like line up all the pieces and, and play the game her own way. Um, you know? And so it's, it's, it's interesting to see how that manipulation of other people's emotions, like, uh, you know, going back to Matt for a second, like she often activates Matt's powers, right? Like she is able to help him consider like, you know, like the really good directors in theater, right? Like they can make you think of things that make you just want to sob, right? Before the really dramatic scene. Yeah. Uh, and, and and so, you know, uh, Ash has that same kind of effect in, in activating Matt's powers. Um, and so at a certain point, you're like, man, like 
is Ash the baddie, right? Like <laughs> you're wondering, like she's kind of messed up. Like she's 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 playing these emotional she's basically games purple man. She's basically yeah. like mm-hmm. she's Kilgrave. purple man from Jessica Jones. Yeah, yeah, Kilgrave. Kilgrave. Yeah, yeah. She, and that's basically like so you begin to wonder, like okay, like you know, obviously Saul's messed up, like he's having them play these games and stuff and trying to manipulate them in, in his own way, but she's trying to manipulate them in a different way, but still trying to manipulate them. Like she's still trying to, you know, exert her power. Uh, in the best ways that she knows how. Uh, so, yeah. There's There's been a moment where almost all, probably except for maybe Matt or Angela, that all the other characters have tried to gain control in some way or another. Which I, I yeah, feel like it just, I, it just adds to like the, the messed up nature of their party. They're not really mm-hmm. cohesive whatsoever. Yeah, and they all have their own reasons for like wanting to pull in their own different directions, right? Like obviously Matt wants to get home. Like Matt is not interested in playing games. Matt's not interested in living in this fantasy world and being the hero. Um, you know, Chuck is having a blast. Like Chuck just thinks of the game and you know, he he feels, you know, at home in this crazy land. Um so yeah, I mean they all they all they all take their turns kind of like vying for power. Um but I think, you know, of the group, you you might see Ash's movement and Ash's strategy to to gain power as, you know, again, it's that Machiavellian comparison as the most underhanded, as the most villainous inherently. Um, at least that was my takeaway. But um, yeah, I mean, they're, they're all they're all vying for power in their own way. But uh, I don't know. I, I'm not, I don't trust Ash. <laughs> I, I, I think it's I think it's interesting to point out too, just with Ash in general. He's a man in the real world, but within the game, he chose to be a female, and there are elements of tension between Ash, Saul, and Isabel, and there are inklings of some homophobia on the on the part of Isabel early on in the comic book, and the way Ash acts within this world. And there's a lot of layers to their relationship and uh, just why Ash chooses to do what she does within this world versus outside in the real world. And it's, it's, it's just a really compelling story that flows very well and tells a really important story. I feel. Yeah. Uh, and, and then of course, like we haven't even like, scratch the surface in terms of like that narrative of Dominic in the real world and Ash yeah. and die, right? Like the, the gender uh, fluidity there. And then, you know, but then again, if you stretch it out to, you know, if you're talking about playing D and D like, you know, I, I'd roll a female character, right? Like, you know, you yeah. go on a world of Warcraft and you want to roll a female elf and, you know, play world of Warcraft, like dudes do that all the time and girls play guys all the time. So like, yeah, it's it's interesting because on the one hand you're like, oh, this is like this means something, but it doesn't have to because it's supposed to be a game, right? It's supposed to be a fantasy where you can be who literally whoever you want to be, um, and and be comfortable in that, uh, which I think is really beautiful in a way. So I think there are some bombshell moments that go along with Ash in the first or. Well, the end of the first volume, there's a bombshell and it's so amazing. I didn't see it coming, but there's some fun stuff with Ash in those, that last end. And then the beginning of volume two. 
Yeah, yeah, for sure. One thing that I reread the entire series before we recorded this, and just one thing I wanted to point out that I found interesting was that after they were able to escape the first time and and come back and they were still young, they, a lot of them, ended up choosing careers that in some way or another were related to RPGs or fantasy in general. So Matt becomes a, a teacher of statistics, and obviously a lot of what you do with Rolling Die is statistics. Isabel teaches English lit, and there are so many elements of English literature and literature greats within Die um, as a whole. There are so many amazing moments, so many callbacks to really important storylines and fantasy that if we didn't have, we might not have the level of role-playing games that we have in general. Angela is a coder, so relating to her Neo class, as well as the development of video games. Then we have Chuck, who writes a fantasy novel series, which is being made into a movie, and probably the person that's the furthest away from anything related to the RPG would be uh, Dominic, because he's in marketing, which can't really... You can connect it in a way, but it's definitely the most removed from this world. I don't know, man. I mean, if you're a good marketer, you can, you're, you can sell somebody anything. <laughs> True. The, oh, the new, there the we new go. That's what it's all about, manipulation. I, I, I didn't even think about that. That's brilliant. Yeah. So there we go. All of their jobs have to do with what they did and die. Absolutely. Uh, well, hey, we're going to take a brief break, and then we will be back in just a minute. Cartoon Dumpster Dive. I'm your host, Joel. And I'm your host, Andrew. Join us as we travel back in time to watch the garbage cartoons from your past. Will you remember them? Maybe. We painstakingly watch every episode of these cartoons to remind you that, hey, some things belong in the past. Our pain is your entertainment. Thanks for tuning in. That's it. That's the trailer. We want to thank all of you for listening to Comic Book Keepers, and we want to say that we love you. And if you love the podcast as much as we love you guys, um, then take a brief minute. It, it, it probably takes even less than a minute. Uh, and just leave a nice rating and review um, on any one of your podcast platforms of choice. If it's on Apple Podcasts, there's a little thing you can swipe up and you can just do like a little five star uh, you can write a rating if you like and say why you like the show. Let us know in the comments if there's any character that you want to uh, you want us to cover in a future issue, and we will do our best to to add that to the list, and um, we will try to talk about that. Lance, there's anything you want to say? As always, be nice. <laughs> nice. Uh, well, let's get back to the issue. Welcome back. Now, in this issue, we're going to introduce um, a new segment. But first, we're going to go back to the pull list briefly for a slightly different recommendation for something you should check out that has to do with die. Now, obviously, with die, we're going to want to say get all of the issues you possibly can. There's only 10 out right now. You can get it in individual issues or you can get the two trade paperbacks. Volume one is Fantasy Heartbreaker. Volume two is Split the Party. And within those trades, there's a lot of uh, quote-unquote essays that are in the back that are written by Karen and Stephanie Hans. And 
the stories in there are amazing. It gives you a little bit more insight into how they created the characters, their looks, their background. Cool sketchbook stuff too. Oh, it's beautiful. It's it. The best part about this series is just being able to hold it in your hand and relive it over and over. And with that, um, along with the story, you are going to want to check out the RPG that Kieran wrote to go along with this series. Now it's it's a beta and it's absolutely free, and we we can leave uh, a link in the description. Uh, but even if you just search Die Comic RPG, the beta will come up and it gives you back history into the world of Die, how it's actually the shape of a D20 and how each area is. Uh, there are 20 different areas all in that triangle shape. And it just gives you background into all of the different classes and the fallen and so much more information that will just make your experience reading this book that much more fun and then if you decide you wanted to play it there's even uh, examples of how to prepare to play and the first scenario you should be playing and the second scenario and really what you can do with it and then honestly you could probably homebrew some stuff to take classes into a fifth edition series or mm-hmm. D. there's a lot you can do with it but just in general it's really fun really informative and it's it's just another beautiful book. There's more art from Stephanie in this book too. So you should check it out just for that. Yeah. You, you'll, I mean, after reading die, you will absolutely want to play this game. <laughs> I think you'll, yeah. you'll want to explore it for sure. Yeah. I need to, I need to figure out what emotion night I want to be. <laughs> <laughs> when are right. we going to play it, you guys? <laughs> uh, we'll have to, we'll, we'll get a game together for sure. I mean, I, I've been, I've been wanting to play and, I'm so uh, down. Yeah, we should we Damn. should definitely do it. We'll 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 get it sorted out. And we'll let you all know how it goes. <laughs> yeah. And if you don't hear from us for two years, you know what happens. Yeah. <laughs> if one of us is missing an arm when we come back, yes. Yes. Sorry. It'll Think be me. <laughs> oh, oh how, so how kind hopefully of you not your drawing arm. I know it's gonna be my drawing arm. It's gonna be oh, sad. Then you'll be the grief knight because it'll be sad you can't do it. Flip the script. Next segment that we have is going to be a new one. We're calling it Flip the Script, where we take the premise behind a comic and flip it into a different story. So for this, we're going to be trying to decide what comic book series we would want to be made into an RPG. Chris, you want to go first? Yeah. So for mine, uh, I'm going to choose X-Men. Uh, now, there is there has been an X-Men role-playing game before kind of um in the sense that there is marvel heroic role-playing which was in 2013 it's actually was very critically received very well but um didn't do well commercially it's based on a system called the cortex system um it was kind of criticized for being a little bit too free for him and not great on character creation it was more like template based um and uh there's another game, another RPG out called Mutants and Masterminds, which um, when I was doing the research about it, a lot of people that wanted to do an X-Men RPG are playing this and sort of just making it into that. So kind of a a, a licensed Marvel X-Men thing that's sort of closer to the mechanics of something like Mutants and Masterminds, where you'd be able to, you know, come up with your own uh, mutant background, your powers, you know, backstory kind of thing. 
how you either end up with the Brotherhood or maybe in Genosha or with, you know, one of the schools that's involved. Maybe you're an X Factor, maybe you're an X-Men, um, maybe you're, you know, hunted or something like that. But I, I've, I've always loved the idea of like playing something like that. There's been a couple of video games that kind of capture that um, with X-Men, but like X-Men Legends. But um, yes, I think X-Men RPG- Legends is so good. Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. So I think an RPG of that. Absolutely. Um, where you're kind of making your own mutant and you you run into these other characters as NPCs. You you run into the different, you know, Beast and Storm and Wolverine and everything. And, and they're kind of like guiding you through stuff. That'd be awesome. Or you could play existing characters. Why not? Create your own faction. Could be like that group of mutants in the sewers in X-Men Evolutions, that show. Morlocks. The Morlocks. Yep. Spike. Man, I love Spike. He was yeah. so good. All right, Jeremy, you're up. All right. Um, might be a bit predictable, but I, I went with Watchmen. Um, just because uh, you know, the the comic is already such a delightful twist on the nature of heroes, right? At its premise. Um, and you know, it, I just think it's, it's a, it's a very robust world to kind of explore and create characters in, um, you know, there could be, you know, modules that are both pre and post the Ozymandias, uh, you know, apocalypse, uh, arc, um, you know, you could be, uh, seeking out Rorschach's hidden journals or, you know, like whatever, like you, you can try to like piece together, like what he knew before he got integrated uh spoiler alert um <laughs> but um you know I, I just think it's it's it would be a fantastic uh tabletop rpg and you know this dc heroes did a, a role-playing module on it but they the dc hero system like really lacks the the system for sustained play i feel like it, it makes for a good one shot um but it's it's hard to kind of come back to and like spin out a uh, a long lasting or a sustained narrative with. Uh, and so I'd love a, a, a reboot of that world. I think people would really enjoy it. Yeah. That, that play system, I think it's called the Meg system. Mm-hmm. And basically you would roll like two D tens and then you would have to reference a chart to see what happened. And cause they had to do a lot of balancing out character right. with, within that because you can't have, cause it's, Watchmen is also part of like the DC using that element. Um, yeah. But then you can't have a world where there's like Superman or you can't doctor for in this instance, it would be like Dr. Manhattan just being the most OP character you could play. Right. Exactly. So like, you know, and, and so there's definitely like tweaking and balancing that would need to be done, but like in a, in an updated system where, you know, like for example, in, in a D and D game, like you can make a D and D game. That's like Epic fantasy. You can make a D and D game. That's like, where everyone's like this really, you know, intense wizard and really powerful. Um, but, you know, you could also, you know, for the Watchmen thing, you could just have everybody be, you know, just uh, uh, their version of a hero, right? Like, you know, maybe they're just slightly stronger than some than most people or slightly faster or, or have an odd kind of quirk that makes them uh, not my hero academia quirk, just like another general quirk uh, makes them a hero. Nice. So Chris chose Marvel entities, so I'm not going to choose Avengers. Jeremy chose DC entities, so I I had to move away from Injustice with that insane storyline for my choice. I I was thinking about uh, potentially doing Power Rangers because I love that franchise. 
but there recently was a, it's called Hyperforce. So Power Rangers Hyperforce, they did an RPG series on Twitch, but I don't even think, I don't think they ever released an actual gameplay version of it. But I settled on The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, which is a comic book by Alan Moore and Kevin O'Neill, which came out in 1999. Uh, so by, good. Yes, it's amazing. The first Alan, volume, Everything especially. Alan Moore does is amazing. Yeah. Alan Moore is, he's out there sometimes, but his stuff is great. Don't, don't hold the movie against the comic. The comic no, is amazing. No, if you have only seen the movie, read the comic. It is phenomenal. The art is weird and awesome and great. And the dialogue is brilliant. So this was published by America's best comics, which was associated with wild wildstrom or wildstorm. And which was then later purchased by DC. So I'm still choosing a DC property essentially, but I don't care at this point. I've gone through <laughs> too many franchises to change it again. It's setting is in 1898 where they have your character, Mina Murray. She's tasked with this British intel by the British intelligence to put together this team of amazing individuals in order to protect the empire. Now in the storyline, you get, literary classics like Captain Nemo, you get Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde, you get the Invisible Man. And within, in the film, you get the uh, characters like Dorian Gray. And it's, it's just a world that is dark and gritty and kind of steampunk. And there's new, new age technology, but there you can go into more of a penny dreadful feel to it with an RPG. So you have all of these creatures and, you can choose different classes based off of creation. So let's say you could choose a class that is part like Frankenstein's monster, essentially. Or you can go and be a vampire. You could be this being that has an item that is aging, but you're not. So you're an immortal. It's just there's so many things that you could throw into this from a horror standpoint that I, I think could really be a standout as an RPG because you can have horror element, cyber, the not cyberpunk, but the steampunk. And you also can either play or play alongside literary greats that will, it would just be a really fun time. Yeah. I, I, I actually enjoyed the movie. <laughs> I feel bad that I liked the movie as much as I did, but, um, but no, I think the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen would be a, a fantastic RPG series. Oh yeah. Of. And if nothing else, we'll cover it in a future issue. Yes, mm -hmm. yes, league league needs to be honestly. You, <laughs> you probably could just create with the existing fifth edition of D anD. d You probably could just make every character that you wanted that's resembling the these characters. But I like the idea of having it be its own thing. Nice. Now there haven't been actually. Uh, adaptations of this, but you know, stay tuned because with all good comics, there's probably going to be some sort of adaptation. But by issue one, about, now while you can afford it, yes, by sure. issue one because it's amazing. Um, we did think of one other question. I think we have a little bit of time to to talk about this. So, kind of taking the premise of die and falling into a game as you would. That's it's often described as like the goth Jumanji, but. Um, if there's another game that you would be trapped into, whether it's against your will or uh, voluntarily, what uh, tabletop game? It could be a board game. It could be an RPG. Would you want to? Would you guys want to be trapped inside? Hmm. I'm gonna spring this on you. There, there is a Dragon Ball Z 
a tabletop game. I would jump into that so fast. <laughs> I don't even care if I can only become as strong as Yamcha or Krillin because they're say, super yeah. strong. Hey, listen, Yamcha and Krillin are worlds apart, dude. You should—they shouldn't even be in the same sentence. No, Krillin is way above. <laughs> Krillin. That. Krillin, well, man, I'm he, talking, he, he I'm talking the universal tournaments. Yeah, I'm talking that time I got reincarnated. I got reincarnated as Yamcha Manga Yamcha, where he just became super OP. Oh yeah, because he knew what was going to happen. Exactly. But yeah, but I would 100% choose being sucked into a Dragon Ball Z tabletop game world. Nice. Um, so there, <laughs> there was an old system uh, called Big Eyes, Small Mouth. Um, and it was basically an anime tabletop RPG game. Um, and you could be like a mech pilot. Like you could have your own mech, uh, or you could be, you know, like a like a samurai. Like you could you could be all these like tropes of like various anime heroes. So like similar to Lance's answer, but like I, I just like the idea of having a bit more uh, flexibility with like how I'd want to be like my ultimate anime self, like the freaking huge nerd I am. Um, <laughs> so that would Big be shocker. You choose an anime, Jeremy. <laughs> I, I you know I just. I have a lot of fond memories of playing that game actually because it was like one of my earliest introductions to like the tabletop world. Um, I actually didn't really get into like tabletop stuff until, you know, around that time around like high school. I played Magic the Gathering in like middle school um, and stuff, but I didn't really get into like D&D and tabletop games until later. Uh, And that was one of my first kind of forays. So uh, it's got a special place in my heart. Big guy, small mouth. B-E-S-M, as it sounds so oddly <laughs> laid out with the acronym. <laughs> don't, don't say the acronym. <laughs> uh, I'm going to choose Munchkin. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> because I, I just like the, well, I like the dungeon crawl aspect of something. I, I like the idea of like finding stuff, but I also like the backstabbing nature of the whole thing because I think it's it's very funny and it's very lighthearted. And I lo- I've always loved the kind of, the art style and, and just kind of how silly and goofy it is and all the ridiculous things you can find. And I know, I know, but it's like, it's one of the first games that reintroduced me into tabletop board gaming, um, uh, in the late gateway two thousands. Yeah. It was like, cause I hadn't done it in so long and it was just like, somebody was like, Hey, you want to play this? And I was like, Whoa, this is different. And, um, so yeah, I, I think, uh, I think Munchkin would be a fun one to be trapped inside. It would just be very ridiculous. You, you imagine you actually, Phaser, banana, fan, Yeah. <laughs> just imagine actually wearing all the different armor that you find in that, just that hodgepodge armor. Somebody you're fighting, you're going to fight against yeah. somebody that's wearing like a, like using a rubber ducky and just like a shower curtain as armor and just the weirdest stuff in that game. It'd be pretty funny though. Yeah. Well, there's a variation. I mean, there are many variations of Munchkin, but one of my favorites is Super Munchkin, which is superhero based munchkin and that one if if you think the dungeon version is funny <laughs> the superhero one is equally as ridiculous if not more so we will go ahead and wrap things up first of all we're going to just mention a couple things on our social media uh, you can find out more about us on twitter at cbk cast using the hashtag uh, cbk cast and you can let us know about your what if ideas for future issues or let us know if there's any characters that you want to see us cover in future issues as well and if there's any 
questions or comments that you might have about anything that we discuss in the show. You can also use uh, on Instagram. You can also find us at CBKCast. You can see images from the comics and the issues that we are discussing, as well as art from myself and uh, from other artists that we talk about during the show. Comic Book Keepers is hosted by The Geekly Grind. Hey. Stop by The Geekly Grind for all things geeky from comics, anime, and manga to board games, video games, RPGs, and more. Take a break from your weekly grind at The Geekly Grind. And Jeremy, as founder of The Geekly Grind, Indeed. is there anything that you would like to say or plug um, on the show? Um, well, uh, we've got some some fun stuff happening over uh, in another corner of the internet uh, known as Twitch. Uh, so we ha- do have a, a Geekly Grind Twitch channel, which you can find at twitch.tv slash thegeeklygrind. Uh, we now have programming six nights a week, um, including uh, art from our very own Chris Daly uh, on Mondays. Woohoo! Uh, and then on uh, Tuesdays, we're doing Division Tuesdays, so you can watch us play some of the Division 2 uh wednesdays uh the jufin plays uh roguelike games thursdays we're offline because we all need to take a break every once in a while uh friday uh sunday thunder heavy iron plays from dead by daylight saturday um both archmage and thunder heavy iron play factorio and sundays we play board games uh we play board games from 5 to 10 p.m uh scythe uh, uh sentinels of the multiverse uh, uh splendor uh, all kinds of different things, uh, talisman. So uh, if any of those things sound interesting or fun to you, head on over to our Twitch channel at twitch.tv slash the geekly grind. Give us a follow, smash that like button. Um, <laughs> don't smash it. Actually, it's fine. Just lightly tap it. Um, when you said Division yeah. Tuesday, I thought you were going to say you just do math on Twitch. I was going to say probably not the best <laughs> idea for content. <laughs> No. <laughs> today we're today's doing show, calculus. 264 yeah. divided exactly. by. <laughs> yeah, please excuse my dear Aunt Sally. We're going to be talking about PEMDAS today. Now I'll be showing uh, off my abacus. Yeah, exactly. Tick, tick, tick. Uh, not quite. Um, but yeah, so that's our that's our Twitch schedule. Uh, so please do check it out. Uh, we also, in the spirit of die, and just in the spirit of, of having fun with RPGs in general, um, we are the proud host of uh, Knights of the Rolled Table, uh, which Woo-woo. Chris and his, uh, his comrades have been uh, playing through for now uh, over a year. Um, three seasons long, tons of fun, crazy shenanigans in podcast format. Uh, and it's just, it's, it's tons of fun. Uh, if you haven't checked it out, you definitely need to. And you can find more about Knights of the Rolled Table on thegeeklybrand.com as well. So, um, yeah, that's, that's what I got for you guys. And we are very proud of that show. Uh, I'm not only on it, but I do all the artwork for it. But uh, there are a lot of D&D actual play podcasts out there. What makes ours a little different is um, it has rotating Dungeon Masters each season. The seasons are kind of short, like uh, 10 to 16 issues. And uh, we also try to keep it family friendly so that, you know, if you're a parent with kids or you want to listen to it with, you know, kind of you don't have to get into the the um you know expletives and stuff like that to have a good time role playing and we are all most of us are professional improvisers so we keep it pretty funny as well um but there's even some serious moments so it's a fun show uh definitely check it out and yeah we're we're happy to be joined up with the geekly grind and don't be afraid that there's three seasons because the episodes are only about an hour long each so you can catch up real fast yeah 
easily yeah. digest. It's it's not it's not critical role, guys. It's okay. You know, it's, <laughs> it's not a hundred and fifteen four hour episode. You will you will be able to digest it pretty quickly. Uh, thank you for that, Jeremy, and thank you again for being on the show, our special guest on the show. We'll Such a, a good guest. Clap, 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 clap. Oh, thank you. Happy Come back anytime. Guys. Yeah, I'd love to. This was this was fun, and uh, you know, again, I I think you know, I really when you guys were telling me about like wanting to get this episode recorded, I definitely wanted to join because um, as Lance will tell you, like I I got Lance into anime. Um, you know, yes. Lance had, had some very very. Thanks, uh, thanks for that new addiction. you know lance had some kind of surface level uh introductions to anime and and i got him turned on to full metal Alchemist brotherhood and and all kinds of really awesome anime series and in in the writing that he did for the site and uh in return uh he has uh bequeathed upon me his his comic knowledge and recommendations and so um you know this was this was one of them um and now I'm looking at my shelf full of other anim- uh, comic series. Sorry, not anime, comic series. Yes. Lance sent my way. Uh, you the addiction. Yes, Let exactly. Let it grow but inside of you. I will. I, I am. It's uh, much to my wife's chagrin. Um, <clears throat> but, you know, I, I think that I, I definitely wanted to be involved in this uh, conversation because uh, it's it's such a captivating story. It's such a, it's such a, a great story. The art is uh, spectacular and uh, again, my my uh, opportunity, my privilege to chat with Kieran also uh, kind of gives Die a special place in my in my nerdy heart. So thank you guys for letting me and join it, you guys it, yeah. to chat about it. Yeah, and if it wasn't clear enough, I love Die. It is probably one of the best comic book series I've read in the past. That's come out in the past decade. I think it's overlooked, and it's a gem that. I feel more people are going to find. And so again, I'm going to reiterate, find those issues while you can, because they're going to go fast when people discover it. All right. It's time to close the book on die. So until next time, this is Chris and Lance and Jeremy. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) Reminding you to keep your friends close, but your comic books closer. Don't forget to check out the composer of our theme song, Arcane Anthems. Our good friend Weston makes royalty-free music for tabletop role-playing games, campaigns, streams, and podcasts. Check out his amazing work at Arcane Anthems on Twitter, TikTok, and all of his music is available for free on his Patreon at Arcane Anthems.